It's a great day to be Wisconsin proud. I'm Libby Collins, and welcome to Country Connection. Are you aware 50% of foster children have at least one parent incarcerated? These children aren't at fault, but they suffer the consequences of difficult life circumstances that were created by their caregivers. Joining us today is Heather Lejeski. She's Executive Director of Faith, Hope, and Love. Heather, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. What's the mission of Faith, Hope, and Love? Our mission is to build faith, hope, and love in the lives of children in crisis. Now, what do you mean by that? So we have several programs that we offer to children within our community who are going through very traumatic events in support of them so that uh, they know that their community is caring about them, is invested in their future, and wants to see them succeed. Now, nearly half of all foster children have at least one parent who's in jail. What effect does that have on these kids? The effect is overwhelming. Not only does it affect the amount of children entering foster care, it affects their education. It affects their ability to learn. Um, It affects uh, grandparents and relatives who are sometimes taking these children in into kinship care. And so it affects them in so many different ways. When a child comes into foster care, and without being too specific, but obviously you see a lot of similar situations, what usually happens that they end up in intake? Typically, um, for the first 24 hours when they're pulled from their current home situation, they will go to uh, possibly a place like the Children's Hospital Child Advocacy Center. Uh, There, it's kind of a one-stop location where the investigation can take place, um, medical exams can take place. Uh, They also, at that point, would receive one of our Duffels for Kids bags. It's an emergency duffel bag filled with personal care and comfort items for the child so that they have something they can call their own and something that can provide some comfort and security during a very traumatic situation. Uh, From there, while they're there, caseworkers are trying to locate either family or friends, but a lot of times that's not an option. Uh, So then they're looking for a foster home placement. And right now uh, in Racine County, they have 365 children in foster care and only 88 foster homes. So there's a severe foster home shortage. Let's back up a minute Mm -hmm. because you said that when they're taken from whatever home situation it is, that they're taken to a place. Is it pretty much to just evaluate them physically and emotionally and mentally before they're placed in a home? What what goes on in that setting? I mean, are they seen by medical doctors, psychologists, sociologists, police investigators? It would be all of the above, although um, they may not per se see the police investigators. Um, A lot of times it's an interviewer that uh, interviews them in a room with a mirrored um, glass window. Two-way. So, two-way, yes. So the officers are on one side and the child and the social worker on another side. Um, and so that person will do the interview process and then they'll converse with the law enforcement to make sure that all the questions that need to be asked have been asked um, so that their hope is that they don't have to go back and re-interview the child. And their hope is also that the video that's being done at that time is enough so the child will not have to enter the courtroom um, if that goes to trial. And I would imagine that they want to get information from the child while it's still fresh in their mind and before someone has an opportunity to taint it in some way? Correct. How long typically do the children spend in this setting? 
It can any be, be anywhere from a few hours up to 12 or more hours. It, a lot depends on how fast can they find, whether it's a relative or a fam, you know, friend or if it's um, a foster home that they need to place the child in. How long does it take? And sometimes it takes a long time because of the shortage. And, and if we're talking about whether it's three hours or five hours, 10 hours, 24 hours, children get hungry. Mm-hmm. They get tired. They get crabby. You said that there's currently in Racine County, what, 350 foster children, but only 88 homes. What, where do these kids go if there aren't any homes available? In Racine County, last year there was 100 children placed outside of Racine County. So that means they're sent anywhere from two to three counties away, which then makes visitation difficult. It makes it difficult for the children to maintain relationships with teachers and schools and friends. So then not only are you taking them away from their parents, but then you're taking them away from family and you're taking them away from their school and their normal routines, which then creates even more trauma. And if it's a large family, if there are multiple children, how frequently are they split up from their siblings? As a part of the Racine County Task Force, we were informed that as of right now, because of the shortage, it's extremely unlikely that siblings, even if it was a group of two, would be kept together just because there's not enough homes. We're talking with Heather Lejeski. She's executive director of Faith, Hope, and Love in Racine. And if you're just tuning in and you want to catch up on the conversation you missed, go to kticountry.com, click on the Features tab, and you'll find this and past Country Connection interviews. All right, Faith, Hope, and Love. What are you trying to do to change these conditions for these foster kids? So we are in the process of trying to um, open the first receiving home in the state of Wisconsin. It would be the Faith, Hope, and Love Home for Children. That home would serve children removed from their home due to abuse or neglect for the first uh, 24 hours up to 30 days, and a judge could extend it an additional 30 days. What do you mean by a receiving home? A receiving home would have several different options for the children. So one would be a receiving area, an intake area, that would be more child-friendly than an office area. Describe that. What do you mean? So it would have like an art area where they could draw and color and paint, and there would be a Lego area and a dress-up area and um, a video game area so that they have fun things that can keep them entertained while caseworkers are working to find what is the best solution for them. Is it a family or a friend to stay with? Um, are they going to need to find a foster home? Do they need to stay a few days at the receiving home or do they have placement right away? Um, so that gives the social workers time to find the best placement for that child and to do the investigation. And aside from this communal area where there'd be a recreation or at least a a relaxation area for them, if they're going to stay there overnight, where are they going to sleep? So we'll have up to 10 beds in that home. In a dormitory? Um, Yes, correct. And so we will have volunteer staff and paid staff. 
uh, our hope is that it'll be kind of like grandma's house. There will be volunteer grandparents, aunts and uncles that will come in. They'll do cooking of meals with them. They'll bake cookies with them. They'll watch movies with them, help them with their homework, do art projects and craft projects, woodworking projects. We have a gentleman who's interested in teaching them woodworking. So just really fun activities that will keep them entertained and keep them occupied and motivated um, through a very traumatic situation. And keep their mind off of the worries. Cur- yeah, the current situation. Exactly. All right. You, you keep saying this in the future tense. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it is you're trying to do and how you're going about doing it. So we've been speaking with Bowers Design and Construction Company. They are partnering with us for the Faith, Hope, and Love Home for Children. They are located in Union Grove, and they will be helping with the project management of this. And so we are looking to purchase a building and then renovate that building so that it would house um, up to 10 children and it would have room for our staff. It would have a commercial kitchen, uh, living room, dining room, the intake room that we discussed with the arts and craft area and the Lego area. Um, And then we would have supplies for them. So uh, right now, currently, if they arrive, most children come with maybe their duffels for kids bag and nothing else. So our hope is that we will be able to supply then the clothing for them and they will get uh, any medical treatment that needs to be done. They will receive uh, school supplies and any other needs that they have before they transition, whether that's to a family, a friend, or another foster home. Would they still be able to attend school while they're staying in the receiving home? Absolutely. We will make sure that they are able to stay. Our goal is hopefully to keep them within the school that they're already attending so that we keep that relationship because the more relationships we can keep in place, the better for the child and the better outcome. And how are you raising the funds for this? So we have a generosity funding page available, and we also are doing a Facebook funding drive as well. Tell us how to get, where do we get that information? Um, The information for generosity has been posted on our Facebook page. Uh, We will be updating that periodically so that people can see that. Our Facebook page is Faith, Hope, and Love, Supporting Children in Crisis. And um, they can also go to our website, which is www.fhl4kids, it's forkids.org, and go to the Donate tab. And on there, they can also do a donation that way and just uh, make a note on the donation that it is for the receiving home. If you'd like information about Faith, Hope, and Love sent directly to your phone, text the keyword connection to 414-799-9494. When you first see these kids, how, how much anxiety do they have when they're, when they're waiting to see what happens? I mean, what have you, what have you witnessed with these kids? Um, I haven't witnessed it per se currently, but when we worked with a camp for abused and neglected children, a lot of times they're very concerned because they don't know what to expect. They don't know where their parents are. They don't know how long they're going to be separated from their parents for, or they may not even know exactly why they're being separated from their parents. Um, So... They have a lot of questions, which then raises a lot of anxiety for them. So our goal is going to be to create as much of a peaceful atmosphere as possible, creating as much support for them and showing them that their entire community cares about them and that we're standing behind them and alongside them and that we believe that they have an amazing future ahead of them. For the majority of these kids, 
they're coming out of situations that would, I don't want to say shock most of us, but certainly we wouldn't be comfortable with a lot of things that those children have seen, that they've witnessed, that they've experienced. Even if they're coming from a situation where the parents have been dysfunctional, do the kids still miss their mom and dad? Absolutely. Um, We've seen time and time again, those are their parents, and they love them dearly, and they will defend them to the end. Even if they've done bad things to them. Even with the bad things that have been done, they will defend them, and you never want to change that part. You want to continue that relationship because our goal is to bring those families back together and support both the parents and the child. Are a lot of the children surprised at how much easier life can be for them once they're removed from those homes? In other words, that there may not be the constant stresses, that they may be eating regularly, that they may be sleeping in a bed for the first time in their life. Foster parents have told us that 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 is one of the things they see is that once they get acclimated to the new surroundings and the new situations, they do start to realize and relax um, and allow themselves to relax in a in the situation, and they're not so tense and so ang- anxious over the situation. They learn that, oh, there will be three meals today. There will be a bed to sleep in. There will be someone waiting for me when I get home from school. So those things they learned that it's okay to trust again, um, not right away, but over time. You had mentioned before that faith, hope, and love provides duffels for kids. And what else? A typical duffels for kids bag will contain a fleece blanket, a stuffed animal, a flashlight, a storybook, coloring book and crayons, personal hygiene items, and a new pair of pajamas for the children. Why are things like that important? What we found is that when children were being removed from their home, they were being given a black trash bag for their personal belongings, and that's if they could take anything at all. And it wasn't because law enforcement or caseworkers were trying to be mean. It was because that's all they had. And if we don't continue with duffels for kids, we've already been told that is what they'll go back to. They have nothing else. So we need to keep that program going as well. I understand you have something else called blast packs. What are those? Blast packs are for children that visit parents that are incarcerated. Um, We had found that when children go to visit parents who are incarcerated, they wait 45 minutes to an hour before they see their parents. They see the same law enforcement uniform that arrested and took their parent away checking them in for those visitations and so all they see is a negative relationship and we wanted to change that so we created a backpack filled with all kinds of fun components there's squishy balls and action figures and puzzles and games and the officers that hand those out they actually will sit down with them during that time frame because once everyone's checked in they have the same 45 minutes to wait so they'll sit down with the child and pull out the items from the bag and together they will create a relationship and they will learn that the officers aren't the bad guys, and they're not out to hurt them, and they will actually create a positive relationship, and their behavior's better when they go back for the visitation because they've had something to keep them occupied. When they do see their parents in jail, are they allowed to touch each other? Are they allowed to hug each other, or are they kept separate? It depends on the location. So I know um, in Racine County, no, they're not allowed to touch. It's a glass window. That's going to be so hard for a kid. Yeah. That's another reason why we do what we do. There's, we need the children to understand that they are a valued member of our community and that as a community, we truly care about their well-being. What's a new beginning bag? New beginnings bag is for children recovered from human trafficking. 
in Racine County this year, we've already supplied two have gone out. They've gotten a delivery of 10. Um, those go to law enforcement all over southeastern Wisconsin. How old are those children? I've heard anywhere from 3 to 12. The average age is 12. So that's, in my opinion, that's just not acceptable. Like, we need to do what we can to help those children. And what sort of items are in those bags? In those bags, there is everything needed for the first 48 hours after they're recovered from human trafficking. So there is the same items as the Duffels for Kids bag, but then we include um, a day's worth of clothing. There are gift cards to fast food restaurants. There are There's a pillow, pet, because their three biggest needs when they're recovered is nutrition, sleep, and a change of clothes. So we provide fast food cards through the, for the nutritional aspect of it. The pillow pet and the blanket are for when they're sleeping and the clothing for when they're clean after they've showered and gotten a chance to change clothes. So it's all their basic needs. And then there's journal and colored pencils and just some fun snack items. Now, if listeners want to get more information about faith, hope, and love, the building project you're working on that hopefully will soon become a reality, let's remind them how they can do it. Right now, the best way to get updates on the receiving home is on our Facebook page, which is Faith, Hope, and Love Supporting Children in Crisis. Uh, We're working on getting a page up on our website. So if you go to our website, www.fhlforkids.org, that should be up in the next few weeks. Heather Lejeski, Executive Director of Faith, Hope, and Love, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And we're going to have links at kticountry.com. Just click on the Features tab, look for Connections, and share this interview with family and friends. It's so important to care for and understand the challenges many young people face. The entire month of April is Autism Awareness Month, and Monday, April 2nd, is World Autism Awareness Day. Joining us today to share information from the Autism Society of Southeastern Wisconsin is their Executive Director, Emily Levine. Emily, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. All right, define autism if you can. Well, autism is a brain-based disorder that affects the way an individual communicates, interacts socially, and their behavioral repertoire. Uh, For many of our folks with autism, they also have differences in the way that their brain interprets sensory information, and um, they sometimes have learning challenges as well. How is it most often diagnosed? There's not a blood test or an easy way to diagnose autism. Generally, parents start to be concerned around their child's second birthday, if their child isn't talking, and if their child isn't pointing at things um, or sharing um, give-and-take type games that other toddlers do. And what happens is then usually their pediatrician will refer them to a specialist, either a developmental uh, pediatrician or psychologist, who then does clinical observation and checks to see if the children meet criteria in these different areas of um, language, socialization, and behavior, and also ask the caregivers a lot of questions about um, how they interact with the world. And from those observations and the answers to those questions, then they would make a determination if they meet that criteria. What questions do you most often hear parents ask after their child has been diagnosed with autism? Parents have a lot of different reactions. Um, It goes all the way from, will my son be able to drive? Will he get married? Um, Will he go to university? To, you know, what do we do next? What do we do tomorrow? Um, 
it it's kind of a um, a detour on your parenting journey. It's usually for for most of us, it comes as a big shock. And one one of the things that we do at the Autism Society is try to share information and provide support so that families realize that they have a friend they can count on, somebody that can go down that road with them and help them. Every case is unique because there are so many different kinds of autism, it seems. Uh, Explain the spectrum and and how it can range from, from very mild to very severe. It's something that, you know, the brain is sort of the last frontier in terms of understanding how our bodies work. People don't really know exactly uh, the cause of autism or how um, their child or how a person is going to progress through their life and end up. And what we see is that some folks have huge challenges with just day-to-day activities. Um, They may need a lot of support throughout their lifetime. And some people make a lot of progress and are able to lead pretty active, normal lives with a mild amount of additional support. And we don't really know why that is. At some point when we really understand it, a lot of researchers hypothesize that there's different underlying disorders, that there are autisms instead of just one autism. Until we figure that out, we're going to just try to treat everybody where they are and help them along. Do you find it runs in families? They haven't identified a specific gene that causes autism. That There's definitely a genetic component. We see oftentimes that when a child gets diagnosed, um, maybe a parent will get diagnosed as well. And sometimes siblings are diagnosed. Um, we know that in general, there's about a one and a half to two percent chance of having a child with autism. But if you have one child with autism, then your child of your chance of having another child with autism goes up to about ten percent. Now, back up a little bit because you said sometimes when a child is diagnosed with autism, you find that the parent is also diagnosed. Yeah. How did someone reach adulthood without? without this being recognized? You know, um, the criteria for autism were changed in the mid-90s to be more inclusive, to include folks that had um, good verbal abilities and um, good academics, but maybe had uh, quirky personalities. Um, and maybe, and I shouldn't, I don't want to trivialize it because it's more than just quirkiness. It's uh, difficulty interacting and communicating to the point where it is diagnosable. So these are people who um, maybe were very, uh, did well in school, were okay in college, uh, you know, were able to uh, find a spouse, but they are continually having trouble in relationships or struggling with um, maintaining employment or are um, underemployed, um, have difficulty with planning things and understanding um long-term effects of their behavior. So it's uh, there is a wide range, like I said, from people who are very capable in most areas of their life to all the way to the folks who need significant amounts of support just to make it safely through the day. Well, is it true, though, that a person can be autistic and at the same time have a very high IQ and, and really be quite educated? Yes, absolutely. 
We're talking with Emily Levine. She's the executive director of the Autism Society of Southeastern Wisconsin. And April is Autism Awareness Month. And if you're just tuning in and you want to catch up on the conversation you missed, go to kticountry.com, click on the Features tab, and you'll find this and past Country Connection interviews. What treatments are used to help people with autism? Well, one one of my favorite quotes from a, a young man with autism, when, when someone asked him, how people with autism should be treated, he said they should be treated with respect. And that I thought is a really interesting reaction from somebody with autism. Um, obviously, we want our folks to reach their full potential, whatever that is. A lot of, um, a lot of us have had uh, our children in speech therapy is one of the main ones, um, occupational therapy, sometimes physical therapy. There are different behavioral therapies. Um, and we want our kids educated along with everybody else. Um, so that they can reach their full potential, whatever that is. But at some point, they are still going to have a disability. And so as much as we want to get our kids ready for the world, part of my mission and the mission of the Autism Society is to make the world ready for our kids. And so when there are people that have disabilities that are visible, sometimes it's easy to figure out what kinds of accommodations they might need. Like if I use a wheelchair, I might rely on curb cuts and elevators and ramps to have access to my workplace. Whereas if someone has a developmental disorder, they might need different kinds of support and coaching to be successful in their workplace. What, What are some of the benefits of autistic children being in school with students who don't have autism? I think it benefits everybody. Um, And there's substantial research to show that inclusion is good for kids with disabilities and it's also good for their typically developing classmates. So we're a community and any uh, anyone who is not allowed to be part of the community diminishes the community. Um, and that's true of people, you know, regardless of who they are, we, we need to be inclusive and welcoming to everybody. And that um, sometimes people who need additional support or nurturing bring out good things in their classmates. Um, I always say it's easier to be a helper than someone who needs help. Um, And it helps people develop leadership skills and compassion. And for our kids with disabilities, many of them also have leadership qualities and have um, great friendship and love they can share that just makes everything better. Can a condition of, of autism improve with age? Absolutely. Our kids learn and grow just like all kids learn and grow. And uh, especially for um, now with so much technology, we're learning more and more. Sometimes uh, people who were underestimated in the past because they were not able to speak now with some technology are able to communicate. And we find that they had a lot more going on in their in their heads than we knew. Why is it important to have an Autism Awareness Month? What, what can we learn from this? Our hope is that people, if they are aware of autism and what it looks like and how they can um, make their workplace or their school or their home more accessible, that they'll be more welcoming and more inclusive and accepting of people with autism. Because we want opportunities for people with autism that are available to everybody else. 
And so it's a way of, you know, it's hard to accept what you don't understand. Our real goal is acceptance and full inclusion in the community. And the way to start that is by making people aware of what autism is and how they can interact successfully with somebody on the spectrum. People with autism have kind of an outsider perspective sometimes. How do you mean? Well, they see the world in a very different way. They have a different uh, neurological wiring, I guess I'd put it. Their brains are, if we look, you know, in postmortem studies, if you look at their brains, their brains are different. Um, And so they bring insights to situations that you wouldn't always think about. Um, Even to helping other people, there's, we're lucky in Wisconsin, we have an adult uh, autistic uh, therapist in Madison. Her name is Judy Endow. And she has autism? Mm Mm-hmm. And she has helped so many people. She's a therapist and also she works with schools and she helps teachers who can't figure out maybe what's going on with a child who has difficulty expressing himself and is struggling in a certain situation. They can bring her in as a consultant. And because she has um, the same kind of neurology as the child with autism, she's able to look at the situation and, and point out things that could be troubling in the environment. And what we find is that when we um, put in supports for children with autism in a school, we find that many other children use those supports. And what we're moving to more in education now is something called universal design. We want uh, information to be accessible to everybody. And the supports that children with autism absolutely need to be successful at all also help all the other students. How can listeners get more information about autism and find out more about the Autism Society of Southeastern Wisconsin? Well, we'd love to have them call us or check out our website. Uh, We're at assew.org, and our phone number is 414-988-1260. What would you like listeners who maybe haven't had any personal experience with uh, anyone in their family who has autism what would you like them to know? I would say in general, be kind and don't judge because all of us are struggling. Uh, no matter what we what ism we are struggling with um, and to be a really welcoming community and to learn something, it's good to keep an open mind. Emily Levine from the Autism Society of Southeastern Wisconsin. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and to also share this information during Autism Awareness Month. Thank you, Libby. And we're going to have links at ktikendry.com. Just click on the Features tab, look for Connections, and share this interview with family and friends. And for Country Connection, I'm Libby Collins.